Okay, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to continue with some of the ideas that we touched on last week and to just hopefully go deeper. So basically, we're talking about something, no, nothing less than the, than the history of, of the self, the history of, of uh, individual consciousness. And I want to trace it from, from the, uh, the Garden of Eden all the way to... Uh, all the way to Mount Sinai, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, to, to the, uh, the sin of the golden calf, to waking up each morning every day today, and trying to give a, maybe a, hopefully a, an exciting, or at least for me it was an exciting shot, uh, understanding of, of the words moda'ani, when the first words that we're supposed to say when we wake up. We say, um, we say, I gratefully thank you. This is, I'm reading from the Art School translation. Modani Lefenecha, I gratefully thank you, O living and eternal God, for you've returned my soul within me with compassion. Abundant is your faithfulness. So, um, so, so maybe, a, maybe a, a, a deeper way of understanding this idea of I gratefully thank you and uh, getting into maybe a little bit of the depths of that. And so... Uh, I want to I begin with uh, something that, that, that we, we, we looked at uh, from this great book, Bringing Heaven Down to Earth, 365 Meditations of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. They're the Lubavitcher Rebbe's uh, thoughts, uh, but, but Rabbi Tzvi Freeman uh, formulated them and sort of just uh, put them together in a, in a beautiful, crystal clear, uh, incredibly uh, deep and wonderful way. This is... Uh, this is uh, thought number 164, and it's called, he, he, just, he calls it beyond I, so meaning, meaning the self, beyond the I. So now we're basically beginning with, with, with our, our journey of the, 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 the history of consciousness, if you will. And uh, we're, we're starting, we're at the Garden of Eden. We're all in the Garden of Eden right now, okay? And here, here, here's where it's at. Now listen to this. It reads like this. The primordial blunder was the discovery of self. Okay, so the very, very first mistake was this awareness of oneself. The first man and woman, woman in the Garden of Eden ate from the tree of knowledge and realized that they exist. Ever since then, self-consciousness has been the root of every disaster. Every I and me, every sense of being, is a denial of the creator and the creation. It is a statement that there is something else. Namely, me and I am autonomous from all of this. In other words, this, this, this notion of a separation between yourself and the Creator. That's what, that's what kicked in when we ate from the tree of knowledge. The goal of mankind is to reach beyond the state of Adam and Eve in the garden to a state where any sense of ego is meaningless. Now remember, we always have to make the point that ego doesn't mean self-esteem. You have, to, you have to feel very good about yourself and that's very important. That's the core of a person's, you know, that's the engine that drives all, all performance and good deeds in this world, is a, a healthy sense of who you are. However, ego is something else. Ego means imparting to yourself power that you don't have. Ego means that you're taking things that belong to God, God's power, and you're attributing them to yourself. That we don't want. So the goal of mankind is to reach beyond the state of Adam and Eve in the garden to a state where any sense of ego is meaningless. A place called Eden, which is beyond the garden. A place of essential being 
from where all delights flow. And, uh, and it says in the Torah that a river went out of Eden and sort of watered just sort of the rest of the world. In other words, there's this essential connection between this ultimate state, this universal state of consciousness, sort of like flowing down to us and us being very much a part of it if we, if we don't separate ourselves from it. Um, and I think I, I, I shared with you, but just something that I, I, I really loved is I, I was able to make a Kiddush the other week from a, a Kiddush cup and inside the Kiddush cup were the names of all the rivers flowing out of the Garden of Eden. And it's this, this incredible thing and so you sort of overflow the Kiddush cup and it sort of like suggests all of the, all of the rivers overflowing and, and coming down and, and this amazing flow and this amazing connection back to this initial place. So now let's look deeper into this, this, this notion of this primordial blunder, as he puts it, the discovery of self, how that happened exactly, and how that happened through the eating from the tree of knowledge. Because we know that we embrace knowledge. Knowledge is a great thing. So it seems odd, if you think about it, that, that all of our problems should come through the discovery of knowledge. Because we embrace knowledge. So why, maybe if it was sort of like the, the tree of forbidden delights, you know? And then that makes sense that sort of like all of our problems came from eating from that. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Like we're supposed to know the difference between good and evil. If we know the difference, then we can do good things, right? So it seems odd that the downfall should have come through that. So we're going we're gonna to look into that. And we're going to hear what the Rambam says about that. And, uh, and we'll just uh, explore this a little bit deeper. So, so, so let's be very clear. Knowledge is an excellent thing. And we do embrace knowledge. And we do want knowledge. And in fact, our tradition is that we were able to eat from the tree of knowledge. We were going to be able to eat from the tree of knowledge, but at a later time. And I've heard different opinions, and I don't know, I don't know enough about it, but let me just throw uh, these couple of thoughts at you. Either we were first supposed to eat from the tree of life first, and then later on the tree of knowledge would have been open to us, or perhaps after Shabbos came, because this was, remember we were created in the Garden of Eden just a few hours before, on the sixth day, on Friday, so to speak, right before, right before Shabbos kicked in. And then when Shabbos started, maybe we had to go through a Shabbos before we could eat from the tree of knowledge. But the tree of knowledge was part of our destiny to be able to eat from, but just not then. Bless you. There's actually a Midrash that says that the tree, the fruit of the eighth of us, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is not ripe yet. It was unripe. Right. And, and, and if they would have waited until after Shabbos, after Shab, it would have been ripe. They could have eaten it, and you said they got directly ate or whatever. Uh, but, but because they ate it, it was unripe, which means that if they couldn't digest it properly, which means that it... Okay, so all, all these things totally consistent with what we're saying. This, this notion of its unripeness, meaning, meaning the, time, the time was, we were not ready for it yet. But the thing that I want to focus on is this notion of the discovery of self and self-consciousness being the root of every, of every mistake ever. Like, what, what does that mean exactly? And the clearest way to put it, the clearest way to put it is, is the fact that, yes, knowledge is good, and yes, it made sense that that, that, that the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was part of our destiny and where we were heading. But, so what was the problem? So there's a very, very simple direct answer. God told us not to do it. And we did it. And now listen to the implication of that. Because by asserting ourself, by asserting our own will above God's, we made this distinction between us and Him. 
Now, ultimately, it's a false distinction, since God fills the entire world. Remember, the premise of Torah, the premise of Judaism, is Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. Hashem fills everything. And any, any perception of a division within His oneness is ultimately an illusion. And it's our job in this world, in order to bring all of these disparate elements together, and to show that there's only God. Now, I'll tell, you, uh, I'll tell you something very deep. You see this in the word mitzvah itself. Mitzvah, mitzvah is, you know, it's... Um, Reb Shlomo Karlbach uh, translated it the following way. A mitzvah is a divine pathway. It's a road that leads you to connect to God. And um, I think that's a, that's a beautiful definition. Because a lot of the world wants to translate it as a good deed. It's certainly a good deed, but that suggests that it's optional. Right? I can do it or I can't do it. Some people, probably even more people, want to translate mitzvah as a commandment, which means that God is hitting me over the head 613 times a day. Right? So I don't want to be hit over the head, but I also don't want to be told that, you know, you want to do it, it's good. You don't want to do it, it's good. God doesn't care. God does care. So... So we need some sort of in-between understanding of, of what it is. So, so it's, it's basically, it's the essence and it's the structure of the entire universe. There are all of these roads. It's, the, it's, it's that divine pathway which puts me in harmony with the creation itself and puts me in harmony with the deepest aspects of myself. It's the total attunement. It's the, it's the revelation of reality in the world. So now listen to... Listen to the Chernobler Rebbe's explanation of the word mitzvah itself. He brings this down in his book, The Meor Enayim. So he says, look at the word mitzvah. It's spelled Mem, Sadi, Vav, and He. So you know the name of God, the great name of God, is yud and vav So the word mitzvah, this, this sort of revelation of his will, is Mem, Sadi, Vav, and He. So we see that the last two letters of mitzvah and Hashem's name are the same, right? So, so far, so good. And vav if you think of the yud Vavke as something that starts from the highest aspects of heaven and even dimensions beyond and, and sort of like flows downwards, you know, if you write it from above to below, so that the bottom he stands for this world, right? And Vav is, is, is that thing which is connecting this world to the highest reaches of heaven, okay? And then we get to the yud Okay, so the vav in other words, is, the, is this world or it's the, the, the revelation of God's will. Okay, so what's mem tsadi? So mem tsadi is very interesting. We have one of the holy forms of gamatria is something called atbash. So atbash means that you begin, it's, it's aleph tuf. So aleph is the first letter of the alphabet, tuf is the last letter of the al- uh, alphabet. Bez is the second letter of, of the al- uh, alphabet. Shin is the second to last letter of the alphabet. So it's a, it's a form of letter exchange where you take the first letter and you take the corresponding letter at the end of the alphabet and, 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 you, and you interpose them. Now, what would you think if we just told you that mitzvah, the last two letters of mitzvah are vav Wouldn't you know it? The first two letters of mitzvah, mem, if you exchange the letter through atbash, mem becomes yud, and Sadi becomes hey. So, so it spells out the word mitzvah 
through the system of Atbash, actually spells out the name of God. Because we say God and His Torah, God is the, is, is the, is, Torah is the revelation of God's will. So there's this internal consistency. But what's the problem? The problem is that God operates dimensions beyond us. So there's an aspect of God that's revealed, that's, that's us, that's what we can see and touch with our hands, that's nature, that's the beauty of everything. But God goes beyond that even. There's an aspect of Him that's hidden. So this is the Mem and the Tzadi, right? It's a hidden aspect of the highest reaches of God, which we really know through Atbash's Yud and He, which also spells out God's name. Okay, so, so what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge is that we separated ourselves from God's will and we asserted ourselves and we created this illusion that there is an I and there is a He and that they're two different entities and that they're separated. That was the creation or the invention of self, if you will. Okay. Now, let's address this problem that we have. This idea that knowledge is good. So, 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 and certainly the knowledge of good and evil, the difference between good and evil is good. It's necessary. You have to know the difference between right and wrong. I'll tell you something. If you want to if you, if you choose the right thing, we say all change that happens in a person's life begins with insight. So if a person doesn't have any insight, if they don't know the difference between right and wrong, how can they, how can they change? Okay, so again, we're asking this question. Why would all the trouble lead, stem from eating from the, 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 the tree of knowledge of good and evil? I was once, um, I was once having a, a lunch or a meal or coffee, whatever it was, with this like hippie couple, right? It's when I first came out to Los Angeles and they lived in, you know, hippie land, you know, and, you know, and this woman was, <laughs> it was, you know, out in Topanga Canyon, you know, that kind of area, you know, the hills of Malibu, you know, this was, uh, anyway, so we're, 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 we're sitting and she's explaining to me very patiently, um, that um, that her job as a parent is not to teach her child the difference between right and wrong. That her child has to come to that understanding herself between right and wrong. And, you know, I didn't know all that much then, but I was thinking, if there's only one thing a parent teaches a child, it should be the difference between right and wrong, for goodness sakes! You know? So, so anyway... That aside, let's, let's get back to the, 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 the tree of knowledge of, <laughs> of good and evil. So the Rambam says something very interesting. It sounds like the ultimate, the ultimate knowledge is the difference between good and evil, right? Ah, not the case, says the Rambam. He says, so we've been thinking like this is an elevation to, to have those thoughts in our head, right? He says, no, we lived in the Garden of Eden while everything was crystalline and pure and unspoiled and the entire world was just like just like you know everything was so clear we had a higher revelation at this point we had the revelation of truth and falsehood right what's true and false true and false are absolute terms and then when we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil everything got muddy because who decides what's good? What's good for me isn't necessarily what's good for you. And what's bad for me isn't necessarily what's bad for you. 
So all of a sudden, we went from this notion of true and false, which is absolute, to good and bad, where everything becomes very, very muddy. To put it in fancy terms, we went from a place of objective truth, where everything was very clear, to subjective reality, where I had to sort through what makes sense and what's right and wrong, and all of a sudden, everything becomes filtered through my own consciousness. And this becomes the invention or the creation of self. Right? And that's where all the, that's where all the trouble comes. Okay? So, so, one illustration of that, one illustration of that, is that before we were, man and woman were, were as they were created in the garden, so to speak, we didn't have like our, our J. Crew on, you know? It was like, everything was like, you know, banana republic free. And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we eat from the, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what's the first thing we realize? Holy smokes, you're naked. You know why? Why? Because all of a sudden, everything starts to become filtered through me and through my subjective understanding of what's going on in the world. So there's this, this immediate sense of self-consciousness that kicked in and a sense of covering up and all the rest. And so that's an illustration, um, this knowledge of, of, of ourselves that kicked in once we had our consciousness lowered by eating and, and our objective understanding of truth and falsehood like in this place where everyone sort of like is their own judge and everyone decides for themselves. Okay. So now, let's keep on going. Because an amazing thing happened also when we ate from the tree of knowledge, which is that death entered into the world. Okay, the Torah says, we ate and God says, okay, now you're going to have to die. Now, the way not to understand that is to say God is a punitive God and he's, an, he's a vindictive God and God is waiting for someone to do something wrong. I know a lot of people go through lives with this relationship with God and with this consciousness of God and it, it, has, to, it has to be revised because you'll never be a full participant in this world if you have this level of consciousness, which is that as soon as I trip up, God is just waiting to zap me. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. So, so there's a, a congregant, I've forgotten whose name this was said, but this is a true story. There's a, a guy who's attending, a, you know, shul, and there's someone who's talking during the service. And the guy talks, and the guy next to him wheels on him and, like, shushes him, you know? And they're shushing and they're shushing. You know, there are levels of shushing. There's a nice shushing and then there's a shushing that like, it's like, you know, you know, you feel like, you know, like the guy's thumbs on your Adam's apple. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like that's a, like there's a shushing that like tries to like, you know, cut your head off, you know? So, um, so the rabbi comes up to this person who shushed the guy and he says, you know, like what's going on? And the congregant, rightly says back to the rabbi, hey, I've seen you also quiet him when that person's talked. And he says, he says, no, no, no. He says, the difference between me and you is the difference between uh, 
say, I think the example that I heard, the, the, the woman of the house and a cat. Okay, well, how does that work? So, so if, a, if, if, a, if a woman or a person, you know, anyone, sees, uh, sees a mouse in the house, all right, try not to make the rest of this talk rhyme, um, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna take a broom or whatever it is and shoo it out of the house, okay? But what does a cat do with a mouse? A cat is just waiting for the mouse to show up so it can leap on top of it, right? He says, the difference between the way you quieted that person and the way I quieted that person is that when he was speaking during the service, I told him to stop because he's not supposed to, he's not supposed to talk during the service. But you were just waiting for him to talk so that you could jump down his throat and tell him not to talk. He says, that's a totally different, that's a totally different level of interaction, you know? A lot of us, and we should be mindful of this in our own interpersonal dealings, a lot of us, the way we relate to other people is we're just waiting for them to trip up so that we can jump down their throats and correct them. That's very different from uh, a healthy sort of like sharing and saying, hey, you know, you're doing this and, you know, for whatever reason, maybe you should be doing that. You know, that's a, it's a totally different way of relating to, to, to people. And we should just be aware of that in ourselves. Okay. So, our notion of our relationship with God is God is not a cat waiting to leap on us and he's just, he knows we're going to trip up and he's just waiting so that he can zap us. That, is, that, 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 can't be, that can't be our relationship with God because if it is, we're missing the entire boat. Okay, so, returning to this problem then, so then how are we to understand this? We eat from the tree of knowledge and God says, okay, now you have to die. So, that's nice. <laughs> That sounds very cat-like to me, right? So the first thing that we have to understand is, is that, uh, is in the deepest way, in the deepest, deepest way, and this is a big topic in itself, but let me just generalize a little bit in order to get to the, 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 the essential point over here. God doesn't punish. He fixes. So what does that mean? That means that any trouble that we go through, any, any reversal in the, in the circumstances of our life, any, any discomfort that we experience, that is God rectifying our life and He's fixing our life. And sometimes, sometimes it's painful. That's the reality of it. But it's not painful because God says, now I want to zap you. It's painful because that, unfortunately, is the fixing process. You know? I mean, when, when a couple breaks up, sometimes that's so painful, you know? But that's like surgery taking place. You know, if, if a person has actual surgery, the flesh itself has to wound. But what about all the emotional bonds between two people that, 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 that are severed when a relationship ends? That's no less surgery. Okay, so you, so, so you don't see a wound and you don't see a scar and you don't see a scab. But it's painful. God doesn't punish, He fixes. And the pain that we go through is if we can, if we can connect to it and we can say, God, you're fixing my life right now. 
you're fixing my life and you're bringing me closer to you, then we're able to use whatever pain that's there and we're able to, to really elevate it. You know? I, uh, I heard one time that, um, you know, that if you experience, if you experience a sense of tshuva, a sense of like, God, I want to fix whatever it is, when whatever setback you experience, then, then perhaps these reversals in life um, go much more smoothly and much quicker. For instance, they say that if a person reaches into their pocket in order to get a quarter, say for the parking meter, and instead they reach in and they pick out a penny, right? That, that even that in itself is a fixing. And if you're able to experience like the little things as a way to connect to God, then God can bring whatever level of fixing that is through some of the smaller things. And you don't have to depend on like the really big things necessarily, which is just an interesting way to, to go through life. Okay, so now let's bring it back to the, to the notion of bringing death in the world and why that was a fixing. Because we asserted that there was a sense of self that was different and separate from God. So what did God say? Now I'm going to have to remove the illusion that there's a you and that there's a me and that we're separated and that we're independent entities. And I'm going to have to take each person from this world to show them the oneness of God, to show them that there is only oneness, that on the deepest, most essential level, that it's just God. And that's how death is a fixing as opposed to just a straight-out punishment. So we have to have our eyes open to that. Okay, so now we're ready for the next stage of the history and the development of consciousness. And that is the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Because we're told something awesome. And until, without that background, we wouldn't necessarily have understood what's going on. When, the, when, when our rabbis teach us that when God revealed the Torah at Mount Sinai, death disappeared from the world. We reached this state of immortality, the state that we had before we ate from the tree of knowledge. Okay? So the Chernobyl brings down a Zohar, and he brings down the words that, on the words, Ani Hashem Elokechem, I am God, your Lord, that that word Ani stands for the Shekhinah. He brings down the Zohar that says that. Ani stands for the Shekhinah. So what's the Shekhinah? What does Ani mean, first of all? Ani means I. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the Hebrew for the word I. We're talking about the, the history and the development of this sense of self. So what happened to this word? What happened to our sense of I? So what happened was, when God said I... He told us who the real I was. God said, Anochi. The first word of the Ten Commandments was the word Anochi, which is Hashem said, I. I am God your Lord. So when God said the word Anochi, He rectified this notion of self. He expanded this... Our, 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 our level of consciousness became, again, merged with the infinity of God. Because when we heard I... It was the eye of God. Now, let me pause for a moment to tell you how we got there. 
because we actually merited this. And we have to understand, how did we merit this revelation of God saying Anochi and rectifying the sense of self and eliminating death and sickness from the world? Because it says we were all healed. That's what we were healed from, from this corrupted sense of I. So the climactic words on our end that we said were Nasevinishma. Now Nasevinishma, it's a whole discussion of when these words were actually said. But let's, uh, let's just get the, the bottom line first. Nasevinishma means we will do and we will hear. Now if you think about that sequence, it's out of order. What do you mean we will do and we will hear? First we're going to hear, then we're going to do. Right? That's, that's the normal order, that's the normal cause and effect that, that goes on. And in fact, the Medrash says that God offered the Torah to other nations of the world before he came to the Jews, and all the other nations asked the same question. What's in it? And then they said, uh, not so much. Right? You know, interested, not that interested, we'll get back to you. And God says, no, I'm going to get back to you. So, so... <laughs> So anyway, till he gets to the Jews, and the Jews don't ask what's in it. The Jews say, it's coming from you, God. It must be good. We'll do it. We'll hear the details later. An unbelievable formulation. But now let's go deeper. Because it, it, it exactly addresses what we said went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Listen carefully. Remember we said, first it was just truth and falsehood. An objective understanding. God is good. Going against God is bad. And that's, that's all there is to it. But then we ate from the tree of the, of, the, of the knowledge of good and evil and all of a sudden everything became subjective. I'll decide for myself what's good and what's bad. Right? Our, our, our level of consciousness became lowered. But now listen to what happened when we said the words, Nasevinishma. We will do and then we will hear. In other words, we cut ourselves out of the picture in terms of that initial filter, that initial filter of consciousness, that initial assertion of self, left the picture. And we just said, God, we will do, and then we'll hear. And God says back, who taught them the secrets of the angels? Who taught them the secrets of the angels? Because at that point, we rose up and we became immortal. We rectified this corruption of a sense of self that came from, the tree, from eating from the tree of knowledge, of good and evil. All of a sudden, we were back on top. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But then what happens? The sin of the golden calf. So the way that Briskarov explains it, everyone wants to say, all the great Torah commentators say, it wasn't a sin of idol worship. Even though it's popularly called idol worship, what really happened, just to kind of cut to the depths of it, what really happened was the real sin of making the golden calf was God didn't tell us to make the golden calf. So what do we see here again? we see the assertion of self. Mm-hmm. 
And on a deeper level, the sin of the golden calf was our decision. They say it was, it was our telling God that we were going to decide how we are going to serve you. Ay, ay, ay. That's right back to the tree of knowledge again. So now you can understand how it is that this level of immortality that we reached all of a sudden flew back out at the window. Why, why death is now necessary again in the world? Because all of a sudden we've reasserted our I. We've reasserted the notion that we will decide how it's best to serve you. Okay, so, so let, me, let me show you something. Uh, in Pirke Avos, something very beautiful. And then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up with waking up each morning. Okay? And how that ties into Moda Ani. But as this is, with this as a preface, um, so this is from Pirke Avos. And it's, um, it's, it's from uh, Hillel. And it's uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 14. So something really, really interesting. So he would say, uh, If I am not, usually it's, it's, it's translated like this, If I am not for myself, who will be for me? So, so, so the way we want to read it is the following. So remember, we said, Ani, Ani this, this word, this Hebrew word which means I, that according to the Zohar, I really means the Shekhinah. Shekhinah is, we can best translate as um, this, this, this revelation of godliness in the world. So really, really more or less it stands for God, but it means sort of like this, this, this very sort of revealed sense of godliness in the world. So that, that's what the real I is, because the real I, as we said, is, is Hashem. So... So, so it says, the im ain anili. If I if if I am not to me. So so the first stage is we have to knock out our false sense of I. So we have to go the im ain ain means not ain anili. If I am not to myself. In other words, if I knock out this false sense of I that I have, this sort of legacy from the tree of knowledge and from the sin of the golden calf, if I can knock out that ani, right? Mili. Who will be for me? Or me will be for me. So what does me mean? So the Chernobyl brings down a Zohar that me stands for Bina. So that's this higher level of consciousness. Like we say, Hachma, Bina, and Das. It's this very exalted elevated level of consciousness. If I can knock out this full sense of me, right, me will be for me. This elevated sense, this, this bina will be for me. But I want to say something else, which is that, consistent with this, but me will be for me. Me, the Hebrew word me, means it's, it's gematria 50. Mem is 40, yud is 10. Me will be for me. So what does that mean? If I am not for me, if I can knock out this false sense of Ani, I will have 50 to me. What is 50? 50 is the number of days between leaving Egypt and receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai. 50 is the day where Hashem said, Anochi, 
where He was able to rectify and to put within us this universal sense of consciousness, this highest aspect of ourselves. So what I have to do is I, I, I knock out the false eye and I get Anochi. I get this highest, highest revelation of God. So now that brings us to waking up in the morning. So, so the first words, you know, the sages, you know, I'll tell you something, in my own spiritual journey, one of the biggest turning points for me was realizing that the sages knew me better than I know me. And I think that the biggest mistake that we make is thinking, who knows me better than me? Well, that's the ultimate assertion of this false ani, this false I. And it takes a little bit of a, takes a little bit of a, you know, you have to really steal yourself up to, to, to say, they know me better than I know me. How does someone who lived a few thousand years ago who never met me know me better than me? Well, I think not meeting you actually is a benefit. Because <laughs> we're all twisted up in our own sense of, you know. You know, I'll tell you something. They're running this series on NPR right now. Uh, I don't know. It's a very portentous sounding thing. It's something like, of this I believe. Something like this. And it's very, I don't know, it's kind of very grandiose the way they, the opening credits of it anyway. And... Um, the other, the other day, someone said, uh, the, the, and they're supposed to be very sort of highfalutin, you know, essays about all sorts of things. But they started off with, I believe in God, and I believe, you know, things like this. So I tuned in the other day, I was just driving around, and it was like, and now, and they have, you know, like, you know, very sonorous piano playing very sparely in the background. And then, and then they say, and now, this week, it's uh, so-and-so on, I believe in Barbie. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, this is really like slid, you know? And, <laughs> and basically, what, what it turned out, what it turned out, in fairness to the essay, in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the end of the essay, it was, I believe in this, this idealized form of myself, which was actually a, a very nice thought, but, but it, in, in, in inauspicious start. Um, but anyway, so, so we mentioned it, but it's worth saying again that one of the scariest kind of transitions that a person goes through when they, when they start to learn a little bit of Torah and they, they realize that there's a God in this world and that God is not an abstraction, God is real and that God is all around them and that they want to get closer to God. Who wouldn't want to get closer to God and that God loves them to pieces? And then all of a sudden, now all they have to do, it's very simple, is 613 mitzvahs, you know? What could be easier than that? It's sort of like, huh, you know? And then there's this, this chill that goes down through many people's spines, which is that I'm going to have to surrender everything about myself, and I am going to disappear through this process, right? And the truth is, is that there is, an, there is a transition period. But it's a, but, but, but it, but it's a tuning process. It's a tuning process. You know, like when when someone tunes uh, a piano, you know, do you ever see someone tune a piano? They've got a little hammer and they have to like, you know, they have to hit with a hammer a little bit and just to hear like, what's, how's it supposed to be? You know what I mean? You know, so, so, but then, but then you get to a place, we, we get to a place where we're in tune, 
So, 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 so where are we today? Where are we today? Let's make this really so practical. We're today in this place where we know what the truth is. And God even put it in the world. He said, he said, Anochi. He revealed who the real I is, that I is God. And the closer that we can get to that level of consciousness, the better. But we also know that, that, that we, sort of like that the ball is in our court, so to speak. Because, you know, in the, in the last interchange, we reasserted this false sense of I, right? That everything has to be filtered through my individual consciousness. Okay, so now, with that in mind, listen to how deep the sages are. What are the very first words that we're supposed to say when we wake up? Mode ani lefenecha. So what does mode ani lefenecha mean? That mode can mean thank. It can mean thank. I, 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 I'm thanking you God so much. That works, right? You wake up. You wake up with thanks. That works. We're not contradicting that. But let's, let's go to another level within it. Mode also means to admit It means to admit, and it's often used as, I previously held this assumption, but I'm mode for your opinion. I admit that your opinion is right. Up until now, I had my assertion, but now I'm mode for your opinion. I admit that what you say is, is the case. So now listen to this. The first things we say, we're, 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 we're supposed to say every single morning when we awake is, Moda ani. So what does it mean tying everything together that we've been saying up until now? I admit that the ani is you. God, I'm coming into the state of consciousness in the morning. Who is me and who is you? What am I? The first thing that we're doing is saying, Moda ani. This, this I, the sense of individual consciousness that I'm experiencing right now, I admit that you are the ani. You are the I. That God is one, that the world is one. That I'm an aspect of that oneness. That I'm not an individual creation separated and cut off from you, God forbid. That's the very first thing that the sages tell us to do. And then that's like such a rectification. That's such a rectification. I'll tell you another level within it. What's the very first letter of the very first thing that we're supposed to utter? Mem, moda, the mem of moda. The way that you write a mem is it's actually emerging in the Torah. The, if the, the, the laws to how you write the letters in the, in the Torah. The mem is actually a chaf and a vav. That's how you make a mem. Chaf is the number 20 and vav is 6. That's 26, which is, correlates with the holiest name of God. Yudke vavke. So before we even get to the ani, that God is the ani, when we're just saying the the mem of modeh, we're already acknowledging the yudke vavke that we exist within and that which is the ultimate truth. So, so now let's really tie it all together. So we have to wake up with this assertion, this assertion of the ultimate I and our privileged, privileged, privileged place to be an aspect of it. You know, it's one of my favorite stories. I wasn't going to tell it until I just told you that it was one of my favorite stories. (laughs) 
is when my first child was born, we were at Cedar sinai and at that point, it's not there anymore, at that point they had one of these uh, signs that was rolling, rolling numbers. You know those signs that keep tracks of things? And it was the world's population. And so here, my wife is about to give birth, we're about to have our first child, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm watching like the rolling count of the world's population. And you know something? There's a finite number of people that are going to be born. It says in Gomorrah Sanhedrin that when all the souls that need to be born are born, when they all come down into the world, then, then Mashiach comes. So there's a finite number of souls, of people that are going to be alive in this world. So if you're alive in this world, that's amazing. You got invited to the party by God. You know? You feel left out? You know, just feel your arms, feel your head. You know? I mean, you're, you, you are on the guest list. I mean, what's better than that? So, so thank God we exist. And, and now it all boils down to this. What's a tzaddik? What's a tzaddikis, right? What's a holy man? What's a holy woman? That's someone who, when someone is in their presence, that it's clear to them, by the way they live, by the way they interact with people, that there's one God in the world. And so, it's a person who, by being in their presence, right? It's like I, Reb Shlomo said one time, he says, what's the difference between like a good friend and a best friend? Right? Bless you. So a good friend is someone who makes you want to be better. But a best friend is by being around them, you already are better. Right? So, so the idea is to be like, like everyone's best friend in the sense that, in the sense that when, uh, when they're around you, it's clear to them that there's one God in the world and that there is no us and there is no, like, like there's no separation between us and God, but that, that it's all one. And they experience that, that, that understanding of the oneness of God through you. So we should all be blessed to, 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 to communicate that in the world and, um, and uh, have a great week. Yeah.